thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Late Show on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, really excited about the show this evening. We're discussing alternative, possible alternatives to Ofsted. If you are joining, perhaps you are listening live, perhaps you are listening back to this as a podcast, perhaps you are listening to this outside of the United Kingdom and, and perhaps don't know what Ofsted is. Um, so in a moment, I will start off with what Ofsted is. Um, but before we go on to that, I just want to give a shout out to our partners on the podcast this evening, which is John Cat Educational. If you want to find out more about John Cat, perhaps explore some of their titles and books, you can do that on their website, which is johncatbookshop.com. Um, and we've pinned a tweet into the space so you can do that at your own leisure during the show this evening. Um, I'm really excited to, I'm, I'm privileged to have three guests this evening. I'll talk about them in a second. Um, the first guest uh, is Martin. Hopefully we can bring him in imminently. Um, but just while we are sort of bringing our guests together and getting the show together, I want to just outline what Ofsted is. Um, so Ofsted is the school's inspectorate body in England. Um, it is the body that is uh, tasked by the government to inspect schools. And in the last few weeks, it's come under fire due to controversies and issues that have arisen due to specifically due to the grading system and the impact of that grading system on different schools and teachers and, and communities around the country, around England in particular. Scotland and Wales have different inspection bodies and systems um, and we'll discuss those later on. And in fact, uh, the two guests that I have coming on uh, later, one of them being Kate Barry, uh, currently teaches in the Republic of Ireland. So we will be discussing in detail how Kate, uh, well, first of all, the entire system in the Republic of Ireland, but particularly teacher accountability and how that works in that particular country um but that that will be later um to actually begin the entire show this evening um i'm very delighted that i'm going to be able to speak hopefully imminently to uh dr martin hambury who is the ceo of a trust in salford manchester and you may have seen across the ttr twitter and also my own twitter uh, just recently, uh, Martin kindly shared his resignation letter, which he sent to Amanda Spielman, who's the director uh, of Ofsted. And it was sent to her to let her know and Ofsted know that Martin would no longer be an inspector for Ofsted. Um, I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of the letter. It's quite an extensive letter, so I don't want to sort of read the whole thing. But I will read the first two paragraphs to give you the gist. It says, Dear Amanda, it's with regret that I'm writing to inform you of my decision to stand down as an Ofsted inspector. I've served on 33 inspections since 2017, leading 13 of these 
largely focused in the field of special educational needs and disabilities. I have found inspection to be fulfilling and stimulating and hope I've contributed to the improvement and development of the schools that I have inspected. He then goes on. However, in recent months, I have increasingly felt that Ofsted is no longer achieving its mission of raising standards, improving lives. This creeping disillusionment was set in stark relief by the tragic death of Ruth Perry. Ofsted's tone-deaf response to Ruth's death has troubled me to the extent that I can no longer be associated with the organisation. Um, that They were the first two paragraphs of Martin's resignation letter to Ofsted. I'm hoping we can connect Martin up. I know he's in the space. Um, his Twitter handle is at Mankred63. Um, and I have invited you to speak, Martin. I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of our admin tonight, which I think is Nathan, um, to see if he can uh, help you to get connected into the show. While we're waiting for Martin, Kate has joined me. Kate, can you hear me okay? I can, yes, Tom. Can Excellent. you hear me? I can, I can, uh, clearly. Um, how are you this evening? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic. Thank now, where exactly in the world are you calling in from? I'm calling from Cork in the Republic of Ireland, and I'm a secondary teacher. I teach English and French in an all-girls school in North County Cork. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question to start off with. Do teachers ever leave Irish schools? <laughs> Rare, rarely. Because rarely. <laughs> the only not, reason not I ask never. that... Rarely. Because yeah, I trained as a teacher in South Wales... And I remember I trained with a lot of Irish teachers and I always remember the chats we had and I was mates with, with some of them. And I always remember the chats we had were like, I, we can't get a job in Ireland. We'll have to come to, we, we don't want to come to, to, to England or Wales, but we have to because we cannot get a teaching job in Ireland. And I always found that really interesting because like, is it, is, is, is that because, I mean, tell me why, tell me why. It's, it can be it can be difficult. Um, there there was certainly for for some years there probably was oversupply in in people training, and especially in in some subjects. Now that's actually turned on its head now, and there's now a recruitment crisis in in Irish post primary education, and it's particularly acute in in some subjects, but it has. It has really turned on its head. I think when I was when I trained as a teacher, uh, um, a regular part of, of our lectures would we be um, would be people coming in from recruitment agencies from the UK, like who were just begging yeah. people, and to go over there. And and now, um, I'm not sure if, if those agencies are are still trying to recruit Irish teachers, but I, I do know that it's um, that the situation has reversed here. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, obviously, we're, we're, not, we're not here to talk about sort of recruitment in Irish schools. I mean, but I thought I'd ask you that because it's always yeah. interesting to me. Um, what, what, have, you ever have you ever taught outside of Ireland? Have you only ever taught in Ireland? I've only ever taught in Ireland. Um, I, was, yeah. I was a late entrant. I think I was, um, I was like 29 when I trained and we and I was able to train in a year. I came out like I already had a degree that I'd done a few years ago and like with the, within 12 months of me starting my teacher training like I, I was very lucky I, I got a full-time job straight away and whereas, whereas now 
that that path wouldn't be available to me now. Uh, why is that? The it would now in in an effort to to try to I think improve standards. It was decided that all post primary teachers should have you know should be educated to master's level. So the HDIP in education that I did is now a professional master's in education that takes um, forty eight months to um, to to qualify. So it's now two years. Wow. And then, and that could be on top of, so it could take up to six years now. Say if you did a science degree or that was four years and then you trained to be a teacher, like that's six years of training. And, um, and that's very often funded by the trainee teacher themselves. Wow. That's yeah. So I can, I can understand that now that it's, uh, it's difficult. So how many years have you been sort of including your training as well? How many years have you been involved in teaching in, in Cork Island? Um, I trained up in Galway. Um, so overall, it is eight, oh, it's 18 years. Wow. Trained in Galway. Then I worked in Dublin um, for a year. And then I was out around the place for a year doing substitute work. And then I have been in my current, in my current role, I'd say, um, I'd say we're at 15 years now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of time. So, uh, so yeah, I can't, I will send you a certificate in the post after this, I promise. Um, Martin, I know Martin's joined us. So Martin, I'll come to you uh, in, in a bit. I'm just going to speak to Kate for a little bit because the whole sort of purpose of the show this evening was around alternatives to, to Ofsted. So the way in which England inspects is very much um, inspections, um every few years that lasts for two days and then at the end of the two days a judgment is made on the school um and that judgment is inadequate requires improvement good or outstanding um and some schools if you get inadequate can be put into special measures and potentially potentially closed um you know it's sort of the end result or or amalgamated into other schools and and so on so kate what in Ireland, um, well, well, I want to ask you about, about a more general question first about workload, because there was a survey that came out that was leaked through the DfE just a few days ago, where one in five teachers in England said they were working 60 hours or more each week during term time. Many of the others surveyed said it was sort of, you know, workload was unacceptable. So I wonder from your perspective, what, what, sort, what is your sort of... Um, take on workload in Ireland is it are the similar issues there or is it lower than 60 hours a week it's overall I'd say it's lower and certainly you know talking talking to colleagues um, who have worked in the UK system or who've worked in the English system in in particular would say the level of bureaucracy that's in English schools is they would say off the scale compared to what we would have been used to in Ireland I would say it's increasing. Um, I would say our workload is increasing and it is increasing in that area of bureaucracy. And it, it, so it, it's going in that direction, but I would say we're nowhere near um, actually, I was going to say achieving those levels of workload, but I think achieving probably isn't the right word because I think the costs that come with that, you know, they're not, I can't, 
see that those would be borne out in better outcomes for students. Got you. Got you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's just interesting because I think um, around the world, there's different levels of workload um, by the country, depending on the, the surveys that you read. So I just wanted to ask you that first. But my, my bigger question and the sort of theme for tonight is alternatives to Ofsted. So can you tell me a little bit about the way in which teachers and schools are inspected in Ireland? Yeah, it's there. There are some similarities with, between Ireland and the the English system. One in in particular is that our long-standing chief inspector Harold Hislop actually came originally from the from the UK, and there there are lots of similarities. Is we've different types of inspections. We do have the kind of what's called a WSE, like a whole school evaluation, which sounds something along the lines of the Ofsted inspector where it's a very kind of 360 look at the school and um, you know a, a small team of inspectors would come to the school and, and look at everything including lessons and meet with various stakeholders and we also have um, we also have subject inspections which I'm not sure what if, if you have those or not and that's probably the most common type of inspection that we have where the inspectors come in and they just look at the provision in, in one particular subject and, and we have something as well that we're called incidentals they're known as drive-by um which are no 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 like, like the sound of that case mm-hmm. very much is that like the the irish alternative to deep dives a drive-by um i think a shallow dive um a kind of a skim where they um those are like the, the, the lowest stakes. So the least notice, right. like for those you get no notice, like the inspector, you just come into the school and at eight o'clock, um, there's a strange car in the car park and everybody goes, oh, is it the inspector? And so, that, so so let's just pause a second there. So these are inspector. Is it one inspector or a group of inspectors? For that, it would be just, just one inspector. And So it's one inspector who is presumably an expert within that subject oh, yeah. um, that's coming to look at that one subject sorry sorry yeah yeah um for the incidentals they they they, they could go to any subject and they would normally see um just around four maybe teachers that that day and, and they would usually look at a mix of subjects for the subject inspections they're always a teacher and they're, they're always an inspector who would have experience of teaching that subject so they are a subject specialist and for those, we would get five working days notice. Um, right. So let's. So hang on. So there's the incidental ones, which are sort of like spot checks. Yeah, is it? they're, they're like just a, spot checks. They're they're fairly low stakes. Those those ones. Um, when you say they're low stakes, what what do you mean by that in terms of the, the actual? But how how are you, how are you describing them as low stakes? Like, does nothing happen at the end of them? It's just a spot. Check. It's just it's just really a spot check. They. Um, they would meet with the teachers afterwards. The kind of verbal feedback. There's there's a short bit of written feedback. That's you know um, they meet with the principal and there there's a, a short written feedback that goes to the board. Yeah. But those aren't published on the inspectorate website, where right. the subject inspections, all the other types of inspections, our report is produced and then they are publicly accessible on the inspectorate website. So the, the stakeholders oh, yeah. would be higher. And how long does an incidental inspection last? Is that just a oh, day? Oh, that, that's that's just a day. Yeah, just a day. And then, so the subject. So you've got your incidental one, which is a one-day spot check inspection. 
by somebody, one inspector who might come in and look at three or four subjects in the day and then give a, a feedback to the head, which is not published publicly. Right. That's that's one, isn't it? That's step one. And then step two is the subject inspection. So tell us a little bit about the subject, a little bit more about those ones. They're, um, they, you get noticed five days in, in a head and they, they would come and look at the subject in quite a lot of depth. Um, they would try and visit all of the teachers in the department. Now that mightn't be possible if it's a big department and they would normally stay two to three days in the school um, during that time as well, they would look at the planning, you know, the all the digital folders that, that are there uh, that are related to teaching and learning in that subject are available to the inspector. Then they're looking for things like, you, um, you know, is there evidence of collaborative planning or, you know, they a recent development is they've started meeting with focus groups of the students and they're looking for alignment between what's set out in the plans and what the feedback then they get from the students as to is this is this actually happening and then um that's interesting isn't it what's the what's the sort of vibe with that are people okay with that bit that new bit of, of sort of student voice because i guess that's like student voice a little bit isn't it coming in a lot more it is it is it's very positive i you know i questioned about it when i heard about this happening i i thought it sounded you know, um, I would have had questions about, but anybody I've spoken to, they've said that it's been very positive. That the that that really they're just asking them about what's their experience of the subject in school, and you know how how are they finding it? That it's not, you know, they're they're not necessarily trying to kind of trying to quiz the the children too much. That it is just trying to see is there alignment there that the that the what's in the plans is what's actually happening in the classroom. Brilliant. Okay. So the inspection, the subject inspection, how long do those ones last? I think I think depending on the subject, generally two, two or three days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's quite positive in the sense that they because I, I know one big complaint in England and actually in other countries as well that have any sort of visitation inspection system is that if you get someone who has never taught the subject before doing what in England would pretend like a deep dive into the subject. So like where you have meetings about the curriculum and all that sort of stuff that have ne that have no idea about the technicalities of teaching that subject, which can happen quite a lot, you know? Um, so that sounds, I mean, th that must be a benefit. I'm guessing like how many of these have you been subject to these subject reports? I personally, um, I think I think three, and one was actually a subject um, which is history, that I I was teaching a very a very small group of, of four students, who were um, were finding it very difficult to access the history curriculum in in the classroom for various reasons, and I took them as a small group. And when the inspector came, the the days that he was there, I wasn't timetable to teach them. But I remember he he met with me and he went through their I had exercise books that that they had. I had, you know, tests that they had done, assessments I'd done. And he was because they were in the 
they weren't with me every day. Some days they're in the mainstream class and some days they were with me. And he was really interested. I remember like that I was working with the classroom teacher um, in terms of the selecting what parts of the curriculum that I was going to focus on and aligning it with, with the, the days and that they were in with with the mainstream teacher that so that they had a kind of continuity of, of experience of the subject and back then we used to have now that's gone now we used to be able to enter them for the exams at different levels so these students would have done the exam at a different level um, and and they did really well like we were able to cut out you know a lot of the the course that the mainstream class was doing um, so they maybe did less at a slower pace but then they kind of knew it at the end of it and and he was very positive about that interesting so so um when was the last one of these you experienced how long was it recent that was oh that was around five years ago but we had them say say my school we usually have at least one subject inspection a year so and and sometimes and and often too so like at least every school i'd say would have at least one or two subject inspections every year okay okay oh right really yeah right so hang on whoa did i hear that right so every subject has a subject inspection every oh no like every school would have one or two one subject inspection yeah each year but in a different subject each yeah. year. Yeah. And it could got and you. it could be more than that. You know, it could be two or three. Got you, got you. So what are the so in terms of the outcomes of an ins- one of these subject inspections, like what do the outcomes look like? How's that done? That's it's in, it's interesting that they there's a there's a report that, that's written up and then before that's published on the website, that goes back to the school and it's looked at by the by the subject department. Um, by management in the school and it goes to the school's board of management which is like the board of governors and they have a right of reply so if there's anything that they feel has been misrepresented or if there's any factual errors that can be dealt with before it's then published openly. Wow that's good isn't it? Yeah because that's that's one sort of criticism that's that's once again reared, reared its head in in England in the last few weeks is this idea of a complaint procedure for Ofsted um, in in England. So I, I guess in Ireland, if they're able to almost dispute the report while it's in draft form, would that be a sort of accurate? Oh yeah, representation yeah, and and that basically, you know, it could be upheld. Um, in 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 general, they would tend to be kind of factual things um or say if there was anything in it that you might feel that a one individual teacher was easily identifiable or something you know they might ask for a wording to be slightly changed um it's generally very small things they um but it's very good like those are dealt with at the they're kind of dealt with at that stage yeah, so they're dealt with between the the subject inspection and the report being published on the inspector's website, right? So what what in terms of like you you don't have grading right for schools, so you don't have the outstanding good requires improvement and adequate. We've we've something similar in that they 
they they do grade the inspections and uh, we, we go from very good and it's interesting very good includes outstanding so there isn't an ex right. outstanding very good includes the rating of of outstanding down down to weak um what they would grade various elements with within the school um rather than give so for example like management student voice leadership um teaching and learning rather than give a single so there's no there's no overall grade is what you're saying no there's no like this school is weak um no and and a huge difference i think is is the public perception of it that I, I see on the on the websites of UK schools, you know, they'll they'll have links and they'll have quotations from their Ofsted. And I've even seen billboards outside schools with, you know, your yeah. yeah. and on buses. <laughs> I've seen them on buses. And 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 on the back of planes being flown over Premier League football grounds. You know, I'm joking, I haven't seen that, but I wouldn't be surprised if I did at some point. But yeah, um, what, what were you gonna say? The difference is that you don't see um, that. You you really you really don't. Um the the stakes are are very much I think internal within the education system around prestige. Like certainly, like if you're a subject inspection, you don't want to let your department down with, within the school. You know, you don't want to be the department that has a weak a weak inspection report. But in terms of say at my age now, I've, I've got a lot of friends whose children are are transitioning from primary school to post primary school, and when I hear them discussing about which schools they're going to, to choose. And, and in Ireland, people generally have, especially if you're in an urban area, like you do have choice amongst a you know, fairly free yeah. which, where you send your children as long as they're not oversubscribed. And it's very rare that they would, I, I'd say I've never heard somebody say that they went online and they looked at the inspection reports and that that influenced their decision. Because I'm guessing as a parent, you'd sort of go, and I'm not a parent, full disclosure there, but I'm guessing as a parent, you you would probably look at that when your kids and you say, you, you wouldn't be as interested in, okay, the art department was judged as good. And the, you know, in the subject report, I, I yeah, I mean, you might be, I guess if your your son or daughter was like, really interested in being an artist when they were older you might <laughs> look at it maybe um but like yeah it doesn't i'm guessing what you're saying is it wouldn't reflect as much on the whole school or whole school community one of these subject reports no no or or even even the, the even the even the whole school evaluations which are quite deep and which are which do give a quite comprehensive view of what goes on in the schools, you know, as much as as much as any inspection can. And I know there's loads of things that go on in schools that aren't that easily seen by inspectors. But e even those outside the education system, they're not. Um, I'd say parents or other people in the community who don't work in education wouldn't know where to find them, or even that these things exist. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, I'll come on later because um, and we're going to talk to Martin in a minute, who has just quit as, a, as an Ofsted inspector. And then after that, um, I've got Jennifer on as well, who is an expert on the sort of teacher accountability in the Nordic countries. So it'll be interesting to hear on, on Finland and, 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 and other countries sort of, you know, where they go with this and, and how they do things. 
But I do find it interesting. I was speaking to an Italian teacher just uh, last week um, in preparing for this show. And several of his friends who were also Italian teachers, one of them had never been inspected in 20 years. Now, you know, I know, I know in Ireland you're inspected, but what I find interesting is this idea that parents don't need to sort of, they don't, it doesn't hinge on this inspection process as to school choice. Or, I mean, do you have league tables in Ireland? Of schools stuff like that we we don't it's actually illegal in ireland to com, to compile league tables based on school based on examination results schools will often on their websites and i think that is something maybe the, the parents would look at is they would say um you know so many of our students percentage of our students earned so many points in the, the leaving search like the equivalent of a levels yeah. Um, there, what, how, what, a couple of the newspapers get around this that every year they compile what they call school league tables but the metric that they use is they're able to get data from the third level institutions as to where, this, where the students come from and they use these to say well like this is like the best school in the country because 100% of their of their last of their leavers, say from last year, are now at university, and 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 that's how they compile the lists. And but it's, I I think I'm not sure. I, I think I'm sure some parents do read those and think that that's a good measure of 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 what the school is. Yeah, of something. But I mean, that seriously that's... within education. But that's really interesting, that idea that it's illegal in Ireland to compare schools based on the student results. I find that really, really interesting uh, because I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's seen as being that that it would lead to perverse incentives. Um, yeah, which it, which it does in England, trust me, the whole thing. Um, well, that's it, in my opinion. I should I should hasten to add, there will be others who think it's a fantastic idea to, to have the league tables Um there, based on it, based on it could be it could well be changing and there's a bill going through the to the Iraqis the Irish Parliament at the moment and it's currently at stage eight out of eleven stages and it's a parent and student charter bill which will um it'll require every school to draw up a, a charter as to how they deal with students and parents and I think the idea behind that is is to have like greater transparency so possibly like the guidelines like like it's still at the stage it hasn't been enacted yet and then the department there'll be secondary legislation that'll set out you know what's expected to be in these charters but you know it's possible that that would include data around assessments right right interesting but i mean a lot of what you said, I found that so interesting, Kate, to hear. You know, the pros are, didn't have a clue um, about the sort of the way the way it's done in Ireland. So that's I mean, and how often are these subject inspections? Do they do you have a cycle or not? Is it like, or is it just completely random? It's there is. Oh, I wish. I think if we knew, uh, there kind of isn't. I, I think there is an internal mechanism within the inspectorate that's opaque and that we don't know you kind of know if you haven't been inspected for a few years that it's you're you're probably due 
um, and around the around the whole school inspections as well. There, you know, every every year that goes by that you don't have one increases the likelihood the following year that that one. Yeah. So they do get around but, every. But are the teachers are, are the teachers sort of thinking about it a lot? Is it on their minds a lot? It's, are we going to get or, or not? Would you say? Um, it's always there. I think it's there in the back of our minds. I I think you kind of do cer- certainly sometimes take decisions around thinking, you know, if you're not sure what to do about something, you might say, well, if we had an inspection, what what would they look for? Certainly around things like planning, um, around kind of documentation and in a evidence evidence around what you're doing. But not to the extent that I that I hear in England where, where it's a worry. Um it, it's more it is kind of always there it in in the background, if I'm honest. But yeah. not it's it's not that huge source of, of stress. Um it's it's just kind of something that you're aware of that you kind of have to take into account, but not not to the extent that you'd be lying awake at night worrying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got you. Not not where it's sort of like this is if we if we pass or you know, in inverted commas pass or fail this, it's the end of my yeah, career. No. It's not sort of that that level of things. Um, really interesting, Kate. I mean, Kate, feel free to stick about around. I don't know what your sort of timetable's like this evening. No, but if you want to sort if you want to sort of stay as a speaker, then great. Um, you can sort of stay and then maybe get involved in the conversation later on. Um, if you need to go, feel free to. Um, and uh, it's, it's been fantastic. Really, really interesting talking to you. Um, so I'm just going to uh, mute you for now, Kate. Thanks, and then maybe... Thanks Brilliant. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Kate. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Hi. Um, now, uh, Martin, if you want to unmute yourself in the bottom left-hand side, we can mm. hopefully... Have Hello, a... Tommy. Okay. Yes, not too bad in yourself. I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. <laughs> Right. I mean, I know you've listened to that from Kate. What What did you think of as, that? As you said, it was very, very interesting. I, I think I put in the chat to you there that my wife's from Cork, so uh, my ears picked you up did. from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting set of regimes, isn't it? And talking to, to colleagues over the years who work on the continent and the number of contacts we've had with other schools out there, that to them, the, the, the Ofsted regime does seem very strange. Um colleagues in a school that we're connected with in Cologne recently have had some sort of regulatory framework brought in but it's it was completely sort of an alien notion to them that people would come into the school the way that Ofsted would Um, and having been in their schools and spent quite a lot of time with these people their schools don't look any the worse for it and I think that's one of the, the important questions we've got to ask and certainly a question I've been asking myself is what value is Ofsted adding to education? Is it helping us improve schools? Is a simple question, isn't it? Right. Let me let me cut to the chase here, Martin. You have resigned mm-hmm. as an Ofsted inspector. Yeah. Um, just in the, was it in the last few weeks? It, 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 was, it was last weekend. Week? Yeah. 
last weekend. So tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about what's going on. Well, I trained originally in 2016 because I'd, I'd been a head teacher for a number of years and I'm in the special school sector and I felt that there was something of a of a lack of expertise around SEN, which, you know, is understandable because it's, it's a complex area. Um, and so I decided, you know, instead of moaning about it, Martin, do something about it. So I, I trained as a, an OI back in 2016 and been serving on inspections since then. And I've, I've led a fair few as well. And, it, you know, originally, initially, I felt that, yes, I'm, I am contributing something here. I'm hopefully helping schools develop and certainly learning a lot myself about, you know, different school organisations and different contexts in which people have to work. In recent years, and I think particularly sharpened by the pandemic, I'd felt a, a sort of growing disillusion because the... <laughs> The purpose of Ofsted is there to improve. And I started to think, actually, we're inhibiting schools here. We're not helping schools to, to develop. And there was a number of key things around it. Most pointedly, the what I think is just an observed reduction of a school into a single term, be it inadequate, requires improvement, good or outstanding. I don't think any of those terms are particularly helpful. And I certainly think that... The, the lower two grades are really can be very damaging for schools, as, as we've seen, and very damaging for individuals. So I just felt like I couldn't, I, I couldn't in all conscience, continue working for a system that I no longer believed in. So what's your experience of Ofsted inspections? It, well, well, it varies. I mean, in some, in some um, experiences, it has been positive. It's been that, you know, as a head teacher, I've had Ofsted inspectors come into my school who have been um, quite frankly awful and, you know, very much with their own agendas other than trying to understand the, the, the school community that I serve. I've had other Ofsted inspectors come into my school that have helped improve the school, that have, you know, given us pointers for where we should be going and, um, you know, helped us develop as an educational establishment as an inspector i've been on inspections where i thought yeah we, we've done good there we have a, we've done a good thing i've had others where i've felt a little hollow at the end of it because we've either not been a, more often tom it's that you can't praise a school for what it's doing because of the restrictions around the reporting processes and language um, I, I did an inspection, I'm not going to name names obviously, but I in, did an inspection about 18 months ago in a school that I thought was a cracking school. We're doing really good work with complex kids in a difficult socio-economic environment, really helping their, their communities and some of the most vulnerable people within those communities. And yet I was restricted on what I could say about it because if I was too effusive, I had to find all the evidence that didn't really exist to give it the highest grade possible. On In other respects, you've got schools that are um, are devastated by getting, you know, so either an inadequate grade or requires improvement grade. But it, it's very mixed. And I think this is part of my problem, Tom. It shouldn't be as haphazard as it's starting to feel. What's the process? Like, you've been an Ofsted inspector. Uh -huh. So you, I think you said you'd led, was it 13 yeah, or well, something? And you, you've gone 33 or something like that. So what's, 
what happens in advance of the inspection? Can you talk me through like yeah. the process yeah. so, from start from from the very beginning to when you walk through the yeah. doors? And and actually, there's loads of really important stuff that goes on before that. I think it's it's really um, crucial to to bring to people's attention. So you will be assigned um, an inspection several weeks in advance. You'll get the um, on, on your portal because you, you have a, a portal as an inspector so on your portal will will come up a, a postcode um and a, a local authority and you'll know you'll be working in that area on those dates depending on whether you're the lead or the team member further information will go on to that and roughly a week 10 days before as a lead inspector you'll be given the, the information about the school you're going to infect inspect um you can then start to do your research on it and you start to develop an evidence base, which now is all electronic, but formally you would do according to um, a written format. You develop your your sort of initial views of the school by trawling the website, by looking at um, any information that might be out there in the local media uh, or the national media in some cases. You will start to gather information from... Ofsted's own data analytics and the IDSR. You can look at you know previous performance of the school. You read previous um, Ofsted reports, and you start to, to build up a picture of the school. Um, you then get to a point where a couple of days before you'll start in your own head to draft a kind of timetable for the inspection and develop these days the methodology depending on whether you're doing what's known as a, a, a graded inspection or an ungraded inspection, you'll set together your own short schedule for the time so that you can look into, you know, you've mentioned deep dives already, that you, you'd be looking into certain areas to identify the ones that you want to look at. And it's always good to be open about what the school might want you to look at. So you go through that process. And then, of course, on the, on the morning of the preceding the inspection um, the administrators make the school to the first make the call to the school in the first instance then you follow that up within the next sort of half hour or so and you you have the the long conversation with the head teacher and or any other senior leaders that are around and you start to to sort of investigate certain key lines of inquiry with them do you think that because i've heard this expression many many times over the previous years lines of inquiry uh-huh. right and surely there is some bias in there because regardless of how well meaning and well intentioned the human being is when you get when in that pre-inspection part of the process when you and as you say you're looking at media reports you're looking at this and that and previous inspection reports whatever surely that's gonna you're building an interpretation of the school that will then feed into how you go about the inspection. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to caveat all that by saying Ofsted no longer use the term lines of inquiry. Um, oh no, no, they don't. But I, I'm, I'm but, saying that, that there are those out there who would say, regardless of whether they use the term hmm. or not, many schools, many schools, many people who criticise Ofsted report that the inspectors turned up with a preconceived agenda. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what they would say. Those people who say that, you know, it was obvious that they were looking for certain things when they walked through the yeah, door. I, I think that yeah, I think that is possible. I think that what is a, a good inspection involves somebody gathering intelligence 
keeping an open mind. And within Ofsted's training, which generally is very good, I have to say, but within Ofsted's training, they will encourage you to, A, leave your baggage at the door, so whatever you like in a school isn't necessarily going to be the right thing to, to uh, comment on, and to keep an open mind. However, any subject or any any activity that involves human beings to some extent is going to have subjectivity around it. And all you can do is try and ladle in as much professionalism and experience as you can in order to, to mitigate against that. But I think it is it is possible that there would be inspectors or teams of inspectors that do very much have an agenda as they go into schools, simply because you, you're there to form an impression and you can't not have formed one before you go in. Now, you, do, do you think it's fair to say, though, that and this is from from Tom, who's who's messaged in. He said, "Is it fair to say that many lead inspectors have made up their mind on a grade before setting foot in that school?" Not in my experience, but I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it. it yeah, I think what you're trying to do as a lead inspector is, is gather information, gathering evidence, form an impression, because obviously you, you know, <laughs> it's a human thing to form an impression, isn't it? But yeah, I, yeah. I, the majority of inspectors I've worked with have been very good people and very skilled people, and they haven't formed a preconception. However, some, I believe, would do. And I believe as a head teacher, I've experienced people who have come in with an agenda. And I, I'm prepared to be concrete in examples about this because it's about my own school. I had an inspection maybe 10, 12 years ago where the lead inspector had, had come in to, to hammer us on attendance. Um, now, in the special school setting, attendance is, is challenging. You can imagine what many children, medical conditions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that lead inspector at that point, within 10 minutes of the inspection, was saying to me, if these attendance figures are right, you're going into special measures. And that, that was before we'd even, well, we, you know, we barely sat down to talk together. So I have experienced it from that side, definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, um, I'm thinking, I'm trying to get in the head of an inspector like mm. yourself during the process. I mean, tell me about some difficult moments you've had during inspections as an inspector. Well, I mean, I mean what you've got to... I mean, you sort of touched on one earlier. Yeah, but... I mean... What you, what you have to bear in mind is that when you're inspecting, the person that you're, you're most interacting with, or the deepest level of interaction is usually the head teacher. And sometimes, you know, with other senior leaders around them. But head teachers, by their nature, they're woven into their school communities. You know, they're, they're deeply embedded there. They're not doing it as a job. You know, it's a vocation for the vast majority of head teachers and school leaders. So when you are having to talk to them about difficult things in their school communities, that's always going to be a difficult conversation. However, the vast majority of heads are, are very attuned to that. They're aware of it. They're not naive. Difficulties as an inspector can arise when a head teacher may be either a little role-spectacled about their own school or that they're trying to kind of push push or promote their school to an extent that it doesn't it doesn't really merit those are, are some of the more difficult times in schools in, in school inspection with the head 
You can also have difficult times talking with members of staff who very often will do the, the rabbits in a headlight moment, headlights, headlights moment, and really headlights. headlights. Yeah, well, yeah, they still exist in schools as well. I have to tell you, but a, a rabbit in the headlights moment where you know, particularly yeah. uh, younger members of staff who think, "Oh my God, I'm going to let my school down if I if I mess something up." And you, you know, you, you, you're getting people at a certain point of emotional rawness. And I think this is part of my, my thing around Ofsted being tone deaf at the moment, is it's missing how emotionally embedded the whole inspe inspection process is. And, you know, the recent events that have been been tragic are, have really brought that to, to start relief, haven't they? How, how have those events affected you, Martin, on a personal level? It, it made me, me question what I'm doing. I mean, I, I think I'm, I, I was questioning anyway where Ofsted was going, as yeah. I've said before, particularly around the, the sort of grading. The, the whole reporting and grading system, I, I think, needs a, a complete overhaul. Um, but, you know, to see the impacts on that I've experienced with lots of people, actually, that I've seen the, I've seen the emotion and been through it myself, you know, of trying to keep an inspection positive for your school against, you know, mounting odds these days you know that there's not anybody i'm sure on this call who thinks that teaching is easy at the moment um recent events have made me really question what the, the benefit of ofsted is when we're seeing it having in some cases tragic results and at its best is it making that positive difference it's supposed to yeah i mean this this is something you mentioned earlier as well is and you mentioned it in your letter um the sort of impact of Ofsted on improvement yeah. on 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 helping schools and you were saying that well you didn't feel it did have any well i i don't think i mean Ofsted is a very evidence based um process or the Ofsted inspection is supposed to be a very evidence based process Either as a head teacher having to produce, produce evidence that your school's of the, the level you claim it is, or as an inspector trying to, to gather evidence to justify your, um, your judgments. But Ofsted themselves, I don't think, are producing any evidence that they are improving schools. And in, in fact, if you, if you use their own measures, schools are declining in quality. So, you know, there, there are less outstanding schools than there were five years ago. Um, most many many outstanding or historically outstanding schools are being downgraded to good. Now that's their measure. Now Ofsted may argue, "Ah, well, the framework's changed, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. In that case, was your framework right? Do you know what I mean? So I think there's, yeah. there's a real question about whether they're improving schools. And when you listen to people like Kate talk, or you know, colleagues that I've worked with abroad. I, I don't see how Ofsted is adding the value that the amount of stress it causes can justify. So if we could say we've got schools in this country that are, you know, absolutely brilliant, we're top of the PISA tables, whatever they might mean to anybody, we, you know, we're, we're, we're absolutely confident we've got the best educational system in the world. There may be some justification for the amount of stress that Ofsted causes, but actually I think it's getting in the way, Tom. You know, I think it is stopping people from really developing the schools for the communities they live in because by its very nature an inspection framework is going to be a one-size-fits-all and yet you know 
where I live within two miles, I can be at Manchester Grammar and two miles the other way can be at a school in, in very difficult circumstances in, in the inner city or in areas like Withenshaw that have real challenge, social challenges or areas of Salford that do. So I'm not, I, I don't feel... I live in Salford, by the way. We should have done this yeah, live. Yeah, we, we could have done it. We could have done um, Martin, I, I want to ask you as well, because you've been the lead inspector yeah. on team. So presumably there's three inspectors, right? No, it, it, it varies. It, it varies. And, and again, this is another area that I question about quality. So you can work in... If, if there's tariffs for different inspections. So if you're doing an inspection of a big secondary school and it's a graded inspection of a big secondary school, you could end up with four or five inspectors, even more at times. Um, you will often have within that a mix of HMI, so that the people at Ofsted employ, senior HMI, and uh, people like myself who have a, a day job working in a school but are trained as Ofsted inspectors. So you, you'll have that. In, in other schools, smaller schools, you might have um, effectively one and a half inspectors, i.e. two inspectors on the first day and one on the second. So it does vary. And... The pressures of, you know, um, inspecting on your own are, are quite significant. And, yeah, you know, HMI very experienced at doing it, SHMIR as well. But nonetheless, it ends up being quite a singular view. What, what do you mean by that, though? Because they're in a team. You're in a team. Yeah, but you are. But what I'm saying is there are some circumstances where there can be a lone inspector making those final judgments. Right, right. Yeah, and I've yeah, experienced yeah. stuff. So uh, some special schools are quite small. So, for example, the last yeah. one I did, which you know was a, a very positive experience all around, um, was two inspectors on the first day and one on the second. So when it came to that second day, I was making those judgments on my own. Now, I wasn't making them, I wasn't pulling them out of thin air, but nonetheless, it was, it, it was me making those decisions. Yeah, I mean, my sort of again some listening to this would would probably say and feel free to comment everybody by the way who is listening and thanks everybody by the way who's been listening all the way through uh massive shout out to you people susan shout out to you susan you've been listening all the way through this so thank you very much will's been tweeting thanks will um and we've got lots of our regular listeners um as well um uh, we've got sam we've got we've got other people who who are always sort of listening to ttr so good evening to you um tina as well has been here all the way through so um good evening to you um but i'm sure some of these listeners would say um does that does the composite and i know some research was released recently by sam sims and some others um around the discrepancies between different teams and they were saying there was a gender difference like if you get a team that's um with with more women in then you could get maybe a slightly different grade maybe it would apply as well if a team of one versus a team of five i'd be really interested in that mm -hmm. comparison like the size of the team yeah. versus the judgment i think all of this what critics would say would be that the size that there are too many discrepancies. Yeah, I mean, it, it's this one size fits all notion, isn't it? I mean, if if you take a drive anywhere between, I don't know, just drive south from central Manchester, you'll maybe pass thirty schools, and you you maybe pass thirty very very different establishments. So they're going to need different teams in them, and I, you know, I often. 
I've come to think of Ofsted a bit like using a ruler to measure a cloud, in that you know that a ruler is a form, an instrument by which you can measure, and you know that a cloud is a, a system that has things that can be measured, properties that can be measured. But nobody would pretend that it's an adequate way of doing that because it doesn't pick up the complexity. And one of the issues is that in order to try and address that, Ofsted has you know, different configurations of teams and different ways of building those teams. And they try and put people of certain degrees of experience into those teams. But that doesn't always work. You know, and Kate was talking about the, the need for um, subject specialists within the, the system that, that she has experience of. There are times, and I've worked on teams where people have been asked to take on subjects that they're not fully aware of, well, you know, they've, they've had awareness of, but they're, they're not a, an expertise in or a skill in, and yet a crucial judgment could, could hang off that. And I'll go back again to talk about why I became an inspector, was I felt that the field of special education in particular wasn't being well served by people who didn't have a fundamental understanding of the, the children whose education they were looking at. Hello? Oh. Hi, can you hear me? Hello. Yeah, I think so. Martin, I just dropped out there. Right. You did, I'm not sure. Can you hear can me hear okay? You absolutely fine, yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, I was just going to say, like, a question that's come in, actually, from Ashid, um, who's texting. He says, do lead inspectors contact local authority directors of education and take their views before or during inspections? Can this influence lead inspectors' judgments and the evidence they're looking for? Yes. Um, no, they will tend to, to contact the link uh, local authority officer. And they will also talk to school improvement partners. They can pull in um, information from, for example, diocesan representatives and things like that. So, yeah, they do. It can influence it. The, the whole process of, edu of inspection is around triangulating the, the ideas and the, the, the notions that are emerging. So a bit like um, Kate talked about alignment within the system in, in error. It's a similar thing in that you're looking to triangulate. And so you might talk to pupils, for example, and say, OK, you know, Mr. Smith said that in maths you've covered these things and, and the pupils will say, yeah, we've done that and, yeah, I found it really easy or I found it really difficult. You would equally phone um, the local authority officer or sometimes they will come into the school during the inspection and you, you get the opportunity to influence, uh, sorry, to interview them. Yeah. I mean, when you're the, 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 I was sort of leading towards a question about the sort of point where you have to make the judgment. Mm as an inspection team yeah. and are you in i mean what happens when people disagree within the team like how do you deal with that i've rarely experienced that i have experienced it not when i've led but when i've when i have been part of teams i've experienced tension within the team about judgments and ultimately it will come down to the lead inspector to to direct that conversation direct that discourse and and thrash it out and that that process can actually be very beneficial in that you you really have to examine the evidence examine your thinking around it you within the process the the lead inspector will lead that discussion as part of the the schedule for the day towards the end of the first day you'll have what's called a team meeting that school leaders are invited into 
So now school leaders aren't participants in that, but they're witnesses to it. And so they will they will hear the team debating around the judgments. But usually you're using that meeting to confirm what you're thinking, your initial thoughts, and to allow school leaders to, to glean the, the nitty-gritty, the evidence base for what you're saying. Now, you probably don't want a disagreement as a team in front of those uh, those school leaders, otherwise it's going to invalidate your eventual report. But So you, you'll have tended to have had those disagreements beforehand. But ultimately, you, you can get to a point where people are... are unhappy with the, with the verdict. Now, I've not experienced that often, but I have heard stories yeah. about it. I yeah. think because yeah. there is an evidence base to what you're doing as an inspector, you can, more often than not, you can iron that out prior to meeting with school leaders. But it, it can be a source of tension. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't necessarily talking about in the meeting that you have at the end of the process. I was more talking about during the during the inspection, yeah, sort no, of um, how that, how no, that no, works. No. And also, I was going to ask you, I mean, sort of linked to that, like during the inspection, are there any times where you've been like worried about the, the mental health or well-being of the people you're inspecting? Yeah. Where you thought, where you thought, Do you know what? it doesn't really matter what judgment I give at the end of this. This is not healthy for these people. Yes. Yeah. I have experienced that. I've experienced it where, let me, let me give you a few different examples. Quite a number of years back, I was, I did an inspection of a, of a school that there was a lot of concern about and was judged to be inadequate, which I think was the right judgment. And, um, was eventually was was closed now during that process the, the the well-being of senior leaders in that school was was you know very very um their, their mental health it, it was very much um a concern of of the inspectorate team however i think that the pressures within that school had already created quite a lot of difficulty for those people and in some respects the, the finality of the decision would have helped them in some respects. However, it's undoubtedly the case that that was a very, very difficult process for them. I've also been on the receiving end because I've led organisations that have been everything, you know, right across all four judgments. I've had them all in my career, Tom. And, yeah. you know, the, the inadequate judgment is, you know, it's, it's a terrible blow to, to an organisation and it's a far-reaching yeah. terrible blow. And I don't think there's any wrapping that up. And it's what I was saying before about we're emotionally enmeshed in our schools, aren't we? You know, as, as teachers, as leaders, as governors, we're people who, who do it for the, the love of kids and the passion for education. So when you are told that you are not very good at it, which is what an, an inadequate judgment is, there is a real attack on your identity and your selfhood. So, yes, I, I have been worried about um, leaders uh, and teachers more broadly when giving Ofsted judgments, even when giving strong Ofsted judgment, positives ones, because there is an emotional, um, there's, an emo there's an emotional impact for whatever you're told about something that matters a lot to you. You know, I've, I've sat in, in judgments where I've graded schools as good 
and the teacher was conv- the head teacher was convinced they were outstanding, and that has been as perhaps as damaging to them as being told that the school was was of a lower grade. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm sorry, sorry, I so mean, I'm going to just continue another point as well. Yeah, please do. Please there is do. a pressure, and I've spoken about this with a number of head teachers of outstanding schools. There is a pressure on having an outstanding school because you've then got to keep it up, and it can restrict schools from developing practice because it might be seen as too risky. It can make schools, um, it, it can make schools feel that they're, they're answerable to everybody because, well, you're supposed to be an outstanding school. You know, you shouldn't have any difficulties at any point. So there is a pressure with each one of these grades. And it's because they don't, there's no way a simple term can capture a complex organisation. It just doesn't do it. And it's far better, for my way of thinking, or the the thinking I've evolved, it's far better to have a strong narrative account of what a school is like to be part of and how that school can improve its practice and how that school can celebrate its practice rather than a simplistic judgment like we're, you know, a review on Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was going to sort of come on to your views on how this should change mm-hmm. uh, so and and i know jennifer is going to join us hopefully in, in a moment and jennifer i might actually invite you in now and you can just sort of stay um on mute for now while i finish this conversation with martin but martin i, I wanted to ask you how do you think ofsted need to change there are those who would say it should be abolished mm-hmm. there are those who would say we just need to stop the grades and that's it there are those who say it should stay the same you know, where do you stand on this? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think that we do need some sort of regulatory system in the school system, um, both for accountability and for improvement and to make sure children are safeguarded. Schools are often the the, the sole, well, not the sole, but they're often the, a, a key player in the safeguarding of children. So I think we need a system. I think that there needs to be sort of two timescales worked to for Ofsted because there's legislature around this, of course. So, you know, the statute demands that, I I think it demands that schools that are inadequate are identified um, for governmental purposes for for improvement. So we can't, if, if we abolished Ofsted overnight, we'd be, I think, giving ourselves even more problems. So I think there needs to be two sort of, two lanes of progress and the, the, the quickest thing the most immediate thing that I would do is I would radically alter the reporting process the inspection process itself is is in need of reform but it's going to be harder to reform that because you're going to have to write a new framework but I think the reporting process could be changed almost overnight by dropping the grading system and just writing a narrative report that to me would be a short term fix but not a long term solution I think the longer term solution is to go back to the drawing board and over the next year or 18 months, find out what is working well in other countries and do what you're doing, Tom, actually, which is actually reach out, find what other nations in the world do and then create a system that allows us to build value into schools. There's there's a great workforce within Ofsted of really experienced, sensitive, passionate and compassionate people amongst their HMI and senior HMI group, who could be reaching out to schools and helping them improve. 
that they've you know they've they've run schools themselves off and they've certainly got strong views on school improvement and without the restrictions of the current processes they could be working as a force for good pandemic has been absolutely massive and i think it's been underestimated by ofsted that they're now that the they're looking for norms in these most abnormal of times. You know, children who have forgotten how to learn. Whole, you know, two years worth of learning lost. Some kids who, you know, didn't start formal learning until they were, you know, well above the what was six or seven years old. Um, kids in secondary schools who didn't have that really important transition from year six to year seven, and so on and so forth. Driven a massive hole through schools. Ofsted could Ofsted inspectors or sorry HMI could be deployed now to support schools through that process, and just you know keep inspection for those schools you're worried about in the short term, and, and if, put it if, put it with HMI. Sorry. If Amanda, I mean from working within Ofsted, and by the way, thank you Jennifer for joining. I will be bringing you in in just a moment, um, Martin. In terms of Ofsted, do you feel? You've worked within the organisation. I mean, okay, you were a contractor, mm-hmm. you were coming in and doing inspections, but you still work within, yeah. you know, you, you were trained, you work within within Ofsted. Do you think they're a listening organisation? Are the leadership in Ofsted aware? Well, obviously they must be aware because it's it's been all over the press and the media. But do, do you think there is a sort of, you know, genuine approach to reform and change or, or do you i mean do you think ofsted is a listening organization um it depends who they're listening to doesn't it tom i mean are, are they listening to frontline practitioners people with that immediate experience of uh, children and young people i don't think so no are they listening to other political pressures and demands yes i think they are Interesting. And if Amanda Spielman was here now in this space, what would you say to her? Well, I'd, I'd say what I wrote to her, to be honest, Tom. I would say that you, yeah. know, you do need yeah. to reform what you're doing. I, I do think Amanda Spielman brought in some good reforms to Ofsted um, and, you know, is somebody who does want to do good. But I think there's a naivety in thinking that ploughing on with the current processes that they have is having significant societal benefit to our education system my, my final question martin was going to be about those who would say hang on a minute martin parents want the grades and society needs the grades and schools are just trying to get out of accountability what would you say to those people because they are there absolutely are, there are lots yeah. who would say um, well first of all don't patronize parents would be my first thing you know um, yes, there are some parents who might have literacy difficulties. There are some parents who might not have English as their first language. And notwithstanding that, I still think that we should um, credit parents with being able to judge a school by more than a simple, a simplistic word or term. My my view is that parents don't only rely on Ofsted, do they? You know, I, I chose school for my schools for my children where I thought they'd be happy not necessarily where Ofsted said that they were a good school. I mean, they did, as it happens, but that wasn't a, wasn't a deciding factor. So I think we should give credit to parents and carers, uh, more credit to parents and carers. The, the actual report, I think, ends up as a re- often as a really anodyne read because you've had to 
you're so restricted by language use in terms of compliance and avoiding legal challenge and so on that you end up writing something that is very stilted and I don't think really talks to parents. So this whole notion that, you know, that the grading system in the report is helpful to parents, I think is wrong. I think parents can absorb a decent narrative piece. Parents could also do, you know, there's other ways of reporting than writing a report. You know, you can have meetings with parents, you can have workshops with parents. Ofsted could open its open its ears and eyes up to other ways of working with people. And in terms of accountability, I'm all for accountability. I, I think schools should be accountable. And there, there would be no less rigour in a narrative report. Um, it's just that the the reduction of that to simple simple words and phrases doesn't help an understanding of what a school system needs to do to improve. Martin, thanks ever so much for joining us tonight. We might need to do a part two on this at some point because I feel like there's so much more I would love to ask you, but time is very, yeah, very I, limited. Yeah. So perhaps another yeah. time we could we could um, explore some of the things you've said because it's been incredibly interesting. Yeah. Thanks so much it's for coming on. Thanks for the opportunity to talk, Tom. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Martin. Thanks a lot. Um, just just another uh, shout out to our fantastic partners on the show tonight, John Cat Education. If you want to find out more and want to see what books they've got available, and they've got some absolutely fantastic ones at the moment, uh, click on the pinned tweet. We've pinned it to the space. But also, if you're listening to this as a podcast, just visit johncatbookshop.com. Have a look at the books and titles that they have to offer you as a teacher, as a professional. There's tons of stuff that can aid you in your professional development. So check those out. And a massive thanks to John Cat for supporting us at Teachers Talk Radio in the work that we do. Um, I'm now joined by Jennifer. Jennifer, if you want to unmute yourself on the bottom left. There we go. Hi, how are you? Good evening. I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jennifer, it's, it's thanks so much for joining us this evening. I know you've been flying, I think, for the last 24 hours or something ridiculous. <laughs> yes, it's, it's been a lot of uh, air travel, but um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Jennifer, tell us just really briefly who you are and why I've invited you onto the podcast. Okay, so I'm a lecturer in education at UCL's IOE, and I specialize in Finland. Right. So um, we heard about Ireland from Kate earlier on. Um, and uh, uh, Martin as well, feel free to stay. Um, I've said this to Kate and Martin that it'd be great to sort of, if, if you did want to stick around Martin, yeah. then feel free to do so just the last 20 yeah, minutes. And I might ask you. I will do, Tom. Brilliant. Interested to listen to you, Jennifer. Yes. Um, so, so, Jennifer, I just want to ask then, Finland, right? How yeah. does it How does it do teacher and school inspection and accountability so it's very very different if memory is serving me right now after all this travel i believe inspections were abolished in 1994 yes Um, i believe that's the date that's the one that's popping in my head so now schools self-inspect yes i think you're right yeah. yeah, any sort of sense. So they evaluate themselves as opposed to being um, externally evaluated. So, I mean, do, do you know much about that in terms of what teachers or schools, how they self-evaluate themselves? Like what on what basis and what, you know, what are the criteria? What are the things that Finnish schools sort of value in their in their in their schools and how do they evaluate themselves? Um, so this is it my um, 
greatest area of expertise. Yeah. But I can tell you that schools decide amongst themselves and with stakeholders. So it'll be kind of head teachers and parents and teachers. And maybe if the students are older, um, some students as well. And then to discuss how it's gone over yeah. the year, what's gone well, what perhaps hasn't, what can they improve upon? Yes. All these things. Yes. How would you, because obviously you, you, you work in, in the UK, so yeah. you must be aware of the way the English or British uh, education system sort of works in, 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 in that sense. So yes. I was wondering if you could shed some light on the differences, the key differences between England and Finland. Okay, so I would say uh, the first thing I would say is a lack of trust in England and trust in Finland. And a lot of that is, well, it's historical and sociocultural, but also all teachers have a master's degree. So we have a really highly educa educated profession where um, students of teacher education go through a rigorous admissions process, um, three years of undergrad, two years of master's, um, and two dissertations as well. So you have in Finland is a very trusted and respected profession that is very, very autonomous and has, and teachers have agency as well. So that is, to me, the biggest difference is the trust in the teachers and trust in education as a society. And you've, you've been doing some research, haven't you, on, on the sort of Finnish education system? Yes. yes. Um, what are the sort of key findings that you found from that? Research. So my doctoral research looked at why Finland did so well in PISA. And then my postdoctoral research looked at um, teachers and teacher education. And I would say the biggest thing is teachers and teacher education. And then through this master's degree, then having the autonomous profession where teachers are trusted to do as they see fit. Got you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, do, do you, do you, because, because obviously you've probably heard the conversation that we've had um, yes. here and you talked about this idea of trust in, in Finland that is sort of lacking here. Is that like, I mean, what's the answer to that then? <laughs> so, so I would say, I mean, I can kind of see why it exists as a quality assurance measure, but, inspections i would say point to a lack of trust in the system you know i think that's the biggest thing here is would you be inspecting schools if you didn't trust them to carry out as they saw fit yeah that's i mean this is it i mean i like there are, I, I don't know whether martin or kate i don't know whether you guys want to come in with any sort of comments or questions at this point um just just sort of reflecting what Jennifer said so far yeah I mean that that, that word trust is it's absolutely crucial to the whole teaching relationship isn't it I mean you you establish trust with the children you're teaching and and that that's how you, you help them to learn um, and that has to be part of the the whole inspection framework or regulatory framework however you bring it in it's really interesting isn't it that They've had, they've not had any sort of inspection process for what thirty years in Finland, and yet they seem to be doing okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've met 
a teacher of English, and she decided not to use textbooks. Uh-huh. She decided that the students wanted to read Harry Potter, so they were just going to read Harry Potter. And as things came up, like grammar points or vocabulary or anything,、mm-hmm. that's when those teachable moments would arise. And wow, how about what an inspired teacher? But then also, the school allowing her to do that. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to check out these textbooks. We're just going to read what the students want to、mm-hmm. do. It's called Harry Potter, and then we'll get to the end through this. And you know, the head teacher was yeah. yeah I, I, I trust you. I, I feel. <laughs> can I ask another question, Tom, of Jennifer?、Sure. Yeah, please do, Martin. Yeah, please do. Isn't it interesting that what you're really revealing there, Jennifer, is it is the societal place of education in Finland? It's not just about、um, regulation. This is it. It's that teachers are are more highly respected. That they're trained to a very high degree. And therefore, they they are thoroughly professionalised. Whereas I think that in in our country, teachers are still shackled by not only Ofsted, not only DFE, but also a lot of cultural impressions of what a teacher is. Is that a fair comment, Jennifer? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. I think、um, the way that I mean, just having an inspectorate or just the、um, the education of a teacher、mm-hmm. is different. It's it's looked at a bit more like. Training, learning,、um, a technical skill in England on towards that end of a continuum. Whereas in Finland, it's very, very research based, very scholarship based, very theoretically、mm. based, and、um, yeah, and then you know you're you're considered to be quite a scholar. And then for primary programs for teacher education, it's traditionally been about a ten percent acceptance rate. So you have literally. The the brightest students going into teaching.、Yeah. I'd be in trouble, then, Martin and Jennifer. I'd be. In... <laughs> oh, don't be self doubting. Jennifer, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about. I mean, you must have spoken to a lot of Finnish teachers, right, through your yeah, research yeah. and whatever. Because a lot of teachers in England would say the spectre of accountability hangs over them.、Mm-hmm. You know, whether that be Ofsted, whether that be the, 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 their leaders, whether that be league tables, wh- whatever, they feel very much under pressure to hit certain metrics, whatever those metrics are. Right. So I was wondering. I, I mean, you probably haven't measured how Finnish teachers feel about the way they. But but I was wondering if you've got anything anecdotal about the, the conversations you've had with Finnish teachers. I mean, what are the pressures they feel in? Would those pressures maybe be different from teachers here? I think they feel very autonomous. I would say I was I was speaking to teacher、um, student teachers as well as mentor teachers as regular know, classroom or subject teachers, and they do feel very autonomous.、Um, the student teachers didn't feel they were imposed upon in terms of a style or a way of teaching. It was really to find their own way,、um, their own teaching style, really. And I think another reason for this is the lack of testing in Finland. So, the only national national test is the matriculation exam at the end of upper secondary school. So there's there's not this you know reception baseline and then phonics screening tests and then SATs at seven and eleven and then you know GCSEs and school inspectorates and this and this. So teachers are feel really autonomous. I met a first year teacher. Who did the same?、Um, he decided not to use the textbook and do something else. And the head teacher's like, "Go for it! I trust you." And I thought that was 
extremely powerful for a first year teacher to A, to have that confidence and then B, for the head teacher just to say, I trust you, do what you want, you know. That's really tight, go on. Yeah, can I ask, yeah, I want to ask you that, Jennifer, in, in Finland, is there, you, you talk about the head teacher there being being fine with the early career teacher, you know, making this decision in their classroom. Is there much accountability, say, at a school level in terms of oversight by management of, of teachers' work within the school? Because I think in Ireland, we're, we're very autonomous within our, within our classrooms. Yeah, every, I would say almost every head teacher and teacher I spoke to, they said they felt very autonomous. Um, it's a devolved system in Finland, so it's really by municipality in terms of how they carry out their education. But then the head teachers say it's really by school and then it's up to the teachers how they want to um, how they want to conduct things in their own classrooms as well. So. Katie, I might just bring Katie in now. Katie, if you want to unmute yourself in the bottom left, if you want to ask. Oh, us. yeah. Yeah, I have you. Hi. Go ahead, Katie. You want to say something? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it you talking yeah, to me? Yeah, we can hear okay. you. Fire Thank away. you. Thank you very much. Um, thanks for giving me a mic. Um, I had a question for Jennifer, if, if that's all right. Go for it. Okay. Um, I actually was on uh, one of your. Um, uh, spaces a couple of nights ago you were keep going about the offset and talk to you and I'm from Italy and I'm um, yes. worked in both uh, both the state school and private school I have a question for Jennifer because uh, actually the uh, the system she was explaining in Finland is really really interesting to me as an autonomous teacher but um, um, not having the inspector ex- like exterior inspector but how do they assess like if a if if a teacher is so free to to choose um you know a storybook of like Harry Potter and study it and teach it um how do they actually assess the students um in the end how do they know that worked very well for the students or within a system or for like maybe five year program of teaching English at a school um could Jennifer ex- explain yeah. that to me it would be really nice thank you sure there is yeah, that is a. I I get this question a lot, and it tends to be from people with Anglo backgrounds. They say, "How do you know? How do you, how do you know? How do you know?" And I think. Oh, teachers, Katie's Italian. So. Yeah, I know. This is. This I'm is not like, Italian. Oh, Actually, I'm I'm Iranian, but I've oh, been wow, like, living okay. around the world for the past twenty years, and I've been wow. in teaching in many different countries. So now, in, in the past five years, I'm in Italy. So oh, just wow. like, yeah, it's been. I've been really yeah crazy around. I have experience with different education systems within different continents. Yeah. But this is like really interesting to me. If Jennifer can explain that to oh. me, it really, could be really nice. Sure. So there's because the... um here in a in a, a school I'm talking about is one of the um, very prestigious school here. They're working with IB system, so that is like what they're doing. But it's like full of assessment, like so many assessment they have to do about students individually, classroom system. Um, and what you explain is really uh, interesting. I'd like to hear your answer. Thank you. Sure. So there is a national core curriculum, which is regulated centrally by the government. And Finns like to stress the core part of the curriculum, meaning it's it's slimmed down. It's not too prescriptive. So they do have to follow a, a, a national curriculum, if that answers your question. So And teachers will assess 
within their own classrooms. So it's not a nationally administered test, but it is a test within the classroom to for, I guess, measuring whether students have hit the national core curriculum goals or not. Does that answer your question, Katie? You got anything further to add? Yeah, yeah, I did. So they ha- they actually like compare their assess like their assessment to something like as a as a national curriculum. Is that yes. right? Yes. Okay. So they have something to measure their performance in the classroom. Okay. Yes. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. By the way, if anyone else has has sort of, we've only got about five minutes left, but. If anybody else has any questions for Jennifer, then you can just um, just reply in the in the in the chat on the bottom left, and um, and we'll uh, we'll we'll ask we'll ask Jennifer the questions. Um, and there's um I think what people were talking about was kind of what now with Ofsted, <laughs> if if no Ofsted, then what? And what I've yeah. also learned by studying the education system of Finland is the time scale needed for actual policy change. So. The Finns decided to move teacher education or teacher training at the time to the university level. So this was decided kind of late 60s, early 70s. And then by the late 70s, 1970s, the all teachers needed to have a master's degree. And then people moaned, you know, do teachers really need a master's degree? And because education is free in Finland, it's very expensive for the government. And then what happened 30 years later, PISA came out. And then everyone's kind of like, oh, okay. So it's, there really is a long-term scale of of policy change. So, yeah, if also just, you know, disappeared tomorrow, then, okay, there'd be a, a lot of upheaval. So if there is to be some sort of long-term policy change, there really needs to be um, long-term vision that's agreed upon by politicians. I would say in this country is very difficult because as an observer of what happens every time there is a government change, I feel like there's education policy change. But does that not happen in Finland? Much less so. So in general, there's been political consensus about education and the way they need to make coalitions in the government to make um, a parliamentary majority. There has to be um, working together. That being said, there was an election Sunday, and there's, yeah. I think, going to be some very interesting um, coalition building. So, yeah, but traditionally, yes, there is con- political consensus. There's about more consensus. Yes. Yeah, interesting. I mean, Jennifer, I wondered, based on everything we've talked about tonight, and you've heard the guests talking and so on, what what would be, and, and based on all your studies of Finland, what if you were advising the government in England about school inspection and Ofsted reform, what, based on your research, what, what would be your advice then? Would you say, go to a self-evaluation system, go to a system more, more in terms of what, what um, like clusters of schools who evaluate each other, maybe peer review, self-review, like what would your advice be? Um, I would say slow change. So instead of let's all chuck it out the window today, um, have a vision for how long it would take realistically. And I, I think it's bigger than offset as well. It's I think offset is a symptom of a much larger situation, which is a lack of trust 
in the education system um, over over evaluation, kind of this notion of testing and accountability is very, very rampant in the English education system. So kind of looking at all the angles as opposed to just one slice of everything. I do like that peer idea that you, you've just put out. Well, there's, I was doing some research for this show and in, I think it's, yes, Bulgaria, um, they have clusters of schools who basically, I'm not even going to use the word inspect, review <laughs> each other, review each other. Um, and they do it in sort of school clusters and, you know, it's very sort of uh, soft evaluation. There's no sort of hard judgments in there. It's it's collaborative and so on. Um, so that's what, just one example um, I was looking at. Tom, I mean, can I come in? Yeah, because, Martin, sorry. So, sorry to in- interrupt you. And just to pick up Jennifer's point there, um, I, I've worked as part of clusters of schools supporting one another, and they have been the, the biggest agents for positive change in, in the schools I've worked in, without a shadow of doubt, because you've got people who understand what you're doing, um, live what you're doing every day, genuinely trying to find better ways of helping one another improve. I mean, one of the one of the criticisms of that style that I read and, and actually people have said this to me on, on social media is the idea that if you were in a cluster of schools that were in your locality, would there be too much bias or too much chum, chumness in the process to actually create difficult conversations and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, th- but peer review doesn't have to be clusters of schools that, you know, they can be clusters of schools outside of your yeah, locality. Yeah, I mean, as special schools, you you have the opportunity. We, we worked across Greater Manchester. So the key thing is you weren't in competition with one another. And, you know, I understand that's different for mainstream schools. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are ways of doing that that doesn't create the, the sort of problems that you've identified there. But it, it's Jennifer's whole point about trust, isn't it? You know, education is built around trust and actually we should be feeding it into the ways we... Um, we we make schools accountable should be based on a trust system. Well, absolutely, and I, I guess the idea of self of school self evaluation is 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 fundamentally built on trust because it's saying you're a professional, and because you're a professional, we trust you to evaluate yourself. Yeah. that's the fundamental of that system, um, in my opinion. For you know, from from what I've read about it, um, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that we've sort of come to the conclusion that a lot of this is about about trusting educators within different contexts. I mean, we heard from Kate at the beginning in, in Ireland. It sounds like, you know, talking about parents who... I mean, Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like parents in Ireland, based on what you said, do probably trust the teachers a little bit more maybe than, than in, 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 from what we're saying in, in England, because you were saying that they rarely look at the, you know, they, they rarely sort of question, I don't know, the, I'm not going to say the quality of the schools, but like they don't read those reports as much. Yeah. I, I think that there, there is a lot of trust traditionally. Um, I, I think it has eroded, I think since, since 2008, I think a lot of, um, trust maybe in in public institutions has maybe eroded a little bit. I do think parents don't necessarily assume that the that the school is doing 
I mean, most most of the time, I think there is a very high level of trust there. But I I think that parents talk to each other. I think word of mouth is just in really really important, and a, a lot of parents do keep they do keep in touch with the school. They go to parent teacher meetings. They do keep quite an eye on what their children are doing in school and how they're doing in school. It's just that I I think that the inspection reports aren't necessarily seen as the first. They certainly wouldn't be the first line of um, it certainly wouldn't be the first place that the parents would would go to look if they had questions about anything that that was going on in the school. Um, yeah. I think they'd be much more likely to ask each other, ask, ask, ask the child. Um, you know, it's kind of encouraged that there'd be a lot of communication between schools and parents and, you know, the parents anytime they can get in contact with the school, they can contact their children's teacher. They can, if they have concerns, you know, they can come in and, and meet with and meet with staff in schools. And I, I think that that's more where parents get their information from. I think the, the inspection reports that are kind of used within the education system itself kind of has a carrot that affirms good practice. Um, and that's something to aspire to, you know, that you get a good inspection report rather than a stick that's used to beat people. Got you, got you. Right, we're, we're coming towards the end now. So I'm going to go around everybody and just ask you, if you were to choose between a, a, an inspection system that was like the one in England, should we call that um, a sort of external body judgment on schools by an external body sort of system versus a peer review system versus a self-review system uh, versus nothing, right? So if I was to present you those four options, external body assessing schools and teachers, whether that's with grades or not, you know, we're not sort of saying that, but external body that doesn't know the schools, self-review, peer review, or nothing, no review, and just sort of uh, leaving it to professionals to develop themselves. Jennifer, I'll start with you. Out of those four options, which one would you choose and why? Um, For England, I would say, if possible, a mix of peer and self for the next stages of kind of post development yeah yeah i would say if, if i could choose both um if i you can't if you have to okay. choose, you've got you are, you've got to choose one i'm afraid okay i would say then if we're abolishing ofsted then so you go for nothing peer. yeah i don't i would say a peer but then long term maybe to do something else in the future but if it's the first step out of it i would say a peer review Brilliant. Thanks, Jennifer. Martin? Um, I'm, I'm going to be as awkward as Jennifer, Tom. Uh, you know you're not yeah. allowed, though. Right, okay. Well, even though I'm not allowed to do this, what, what I would do, I mean, I would go for self, self-review endorsed by a group of peers led by an HMI. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Kate? I, I'm going to be the third awkward person, and, and I do agree with Martin and, and with Jennifer that that's some kind of a hybrid. I, I think I think you need to have some kind of a hybrid system where the limitations to each system are recognised. 
because yeah. you have their moves here around self of around school self evaluation, but then part of the inspection is that they look at how you're doing school self evaluation. Um, so I do think self 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 evaluation and some kind of inspection, but that it, that the limits of inspection are recognised. That Brilliant. there's so much goes on in schools that inspection can't can't really capture. And so Katie, I, I don't know whether have to go to some kind of hybrid. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And Katie, I don't know whether you want to sort of chip in with your two pennies on this. If you have, oh, thank you. Pennies. Thanks for including me. Um, well, um, I really agree with that. Um, self uh, self assessment and then of course peer assessment because um as a self assessment i would say like we all teachers we really know what's going on like what's it our what we're lacking or what's our you know um, um weak points and our um, strong points but then like a peer a peer one is really helpful because maybe we can it helps us to see outside of the box um otherwise not more than that very much well, that was an interesting end to tonight's show because I think everybody said sort of peer slash self-review. Um, so that's that's interesting. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating. Massive thanks to Kate, to Jennifer, to Katie and to Martin for joining me this evening for the late show on TTR. This will be available as a podcast through all good pos- podcast platforms uh, possibly tonight, possibly first thing in the morning, but it'll be available very soon. If you follow Teachers Talk Radio on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, then you can hear a replay of this show. Um, and if you are listening to that replay and you've got this far, thank you very much indeed. Um, we will be back on Teachers Talk Radio uh, tomorrow. Uh, so get ready, 7.30pm tomorrow. Lucy Newberger will be here uh, for the space uh, for the late show on a Tuesday so if you want some more Teachers Talk Radio you can tune into that tomorrow evening 7.30pm huge thanks to every single listener especially those who have been with us right from the word go and to all of our listeners who might be listening back to this thank you very much and we will hear from you not see you but hear from you maybe again very soon and good night thank you You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.